open up your word with me to Exodus chapter 17 is where we will be. Um, let me just give you a heads up here this morning. What I would like for us to be prepared to do is to both be in a listening posture and then towards the end of the service here be in a, you know, listening can be a very passive posture. I get that. But there are moments in which exercising your faith is not a passive thing. Right, putting your faith in something, quite honestly, putting it in something when we really need to, it encounters a lot of resistance. And so there's something in us, there's a reason why we haven't put faith in God in a certain category, because there's something in us that's resisting that. We're going to learn about that today. But there's also something that resists that in the world. So it's, it's helpful for us to hear things, and you can be in a listening posture and listen to what the Word of God says and listen to how it is applied in our lives. But at some point... For you to pull the trigger on putting faith in that thing is like standing up and doing something. You're going to have to do something in this service today because I want us to be able to receive from God that way. And at the end of the time, we're going to have some time to pray together to receive from God. And I also want to set aside some time for us to pray for the guys who are headed to Mexico at the end of this week. We've got a team that's going down to serve the ranch and to do... Uh, the next phase of our construction project there that we're working on with them. So we're going to set that team on the side and have some folks pray for them and ask for God's anointing and blessing on their life. I don't think this is a result of me watching too much college football yesterday, but it's possible. Uh, I, you know, this message for me feels like a halftime adjustment, right? You know what a halftime adjustment, you guys who played sports, you know, you, you got that first half going on, you can't get in sync, things aren't going right, the plan you thought was going to be working a certain way, it's not working, plays aren't going right, and you go into the halftime break and the, and the coach analyzes what's happening and he's got insights on what's going on and he makes some adjustment and you come out in the second half and, you know, Leonard Fournette scores a touchdown, right? It's that kind of adjustment that, that takes place in a game. Well, you know, you may be here this morning feeling like I need a halftime adjustment in my walk with God. Uh, it's just not going the way I think it should be going. Things don't feel like they're going right. I don't feel like I'm being successful in some areas. And, and I, I think there's an insight that's in these passages that we've been looking at recently that I hopefully will serve us as a bit of a halftime adjustment. But let's, let's pick this passage up and read first. Exodus chapter 17. Verse 1, if you guys are joining us and you haven't been following along, we are tracking with the people of God who have been rescued from Egypt, and they are into the wilderness at this point. So they're transitioning to their meeting and their appointed meeting with God at Mount Sinai. But this is, there's so much to learn from this little period of transition here while they are in the wilderness. And that's where we are here in chapter 17. Verse 1 says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, 
Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Well, Lord, we are reminded again, these are the words preserved for us. These things were written down, you said, Lord, because you wanted us to learn and be instructed by them, us upon whom the ends of the age have come. And so, Father, open our hearts to your word. Our our lives need what's in this passage today. So, God, open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pick up just a a bit of a setting here, a a little theme that's been following us. If, If When they departed Egypt and they set out, maybe Red Sea, and then beyond Red Sea, everything becomes wilderness adventure, right? They're into the wilderness, right? So I've kind of titled this Wisdom from the Wilderness, Episode 4. And so we've been sitting in this area here. Uh, We visited Mara a few weeks ago, and then Pastor Peter Peter took us into some insights from the setting of the wilderness. And last week, Evan... Uh, talked about manna and God's miraculous provision there at manna. And yet again here, we are in another place in this wilderness that tries people, that pushes them to the edge and makes what's inside of them come squeezing out. And it's grumbling and it's fear and it's complaining. That's what's inside of them that the wilderness is revealing. And there's an insight here I want to pick up from one of the commentators from Exodus. Peter ends talks about our wilderness experience, and not just their wilderness experience, but our wilderness experience as well. He says the desert is a difficult time for the Israelites. It's easy to condemn them as faithless, but I suspect that many of us would not have fared much better. Life was hard in Egypt, but it must seem harder still in the uncharted desert through which they are traveling. It is not an easy place for them to live, not only because of their harsh surroundings, but also, listen to this, because their only recourse in a barren land is to trust God completely. And he goes on and says, the desert period of the Exodus community is ours as well. Right, so here's this storyline. Delivered out of Egypt, this land of affliction and bondage where sin dominates, into a wilderness, into this transition in the wilderness takes place. It's a harsh environment. I mean, it's, it's a desert, so there's not a lot of creature comforts in this location. But I find it very interesting here. But Peter Enns describes this not as, this is not an easy place for them. Not just because of the harsh environment, but listen to these words. This is just too true. 
It's not an easy place because their only recourse in a barren land is to trust God completely. How many of you guys recognize that sometimes we hate that? We hate having God as our only option. God's got to show up here and he's my only option. He's my only hope. I, I don't mind if God's like in the landscape with other options. You know, I've got some power to pull a trigger and make this thing happen over there. Or I know somebody who can fix that. I, I like to have other options. And it's a very troubling thing when God is your only option in this world. Well, that's what, that's what wilderness experiences do for us. The wilderness doesn't offer a lot of other options. The wilderness doesn't provide for us that, well, if this doesn't work, i got to back up here. And I've never done this before, but in the wilderness, there's so many things going my way. I'm sure something will work out. The wilderness doesn't feel that way. Right, here's, here's a premise for us today. Consider this. I think I wrote this in your outline. When they met God in the wilderness, they encountered a supernatural God who would manifest his presence among them from time to time in supernatural ways. If you are not traveling through the wilderness with a supernatural God, right, a God who doesn't need to subscribe to natural features of the landscape, a God who is not limited by having favorable natural conditions available to him. If you're traveling through the wilderness without him, then you will face truly insurmountable circumstances and impossible anxiety. Kingdom life in the wilderness of the world necessitates the supernatural. Right? Here's what's happening in this setting. When they depart with God, God begins to show them one supernatural thing about himself after another. This is, this is not the place where just natural things are falling into place. This is a place where they encounter God stepping in and doing things that no one can explain, no one would anticipate, no one had a category for that. That doesn't make any sense. Right? So they, remember, they're in Egypt 430 years, and Yahweh... The great I am shows up into their life. And he does things that are unfamiliar to them. They've never seen this done before. He does things that are counterintuitive. He does things that are unexplainable. They cannot come up with an explanation, right? So he shows up in their world. And next thing you know, there's these, there's these plagues that begin to happen all around. Now, if you've read commentators, quite honestly, if you've read commentators, you've read people, and I want to I hammer on this today, there are people who love to turn the plagues into natural events. Right? There's some kind of a natural explanation for all those things that happen. You know, the, the, the Nile turned to blood. Did it really? You know, scientifically, Keith, there's a time of year in which the particular way in which the water runs off into the Nile and it drains these red clays into the Nile, that it, it kind of turns red. That's probably what was being described here, right? Well, there's ten plagues that take place, and 
there's a variety of unexplainable elements to these plagues that when they happen, there is just no explanation. And then even if you could explain why that's happening, then you got this added problem with why is it happening over here, but in the land of Goshen, it's not happening over here. How do you explain that one? How do you explain that there is a supernatural protection, that these events that no one can explain now over here, they supernaturally don't happen over here? Right? The firstborn are all killed over here. How many dead in Goshen? Zero. Explain that. Right? And then God leads them out of Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea, and God makes water do stuff that, Physically, scientifically, no one has an explanation for. But, well, you know, the wind blew all night long, and it just kind of drained the, the sea. And, all right. and it was very shallow anyway. Right? So they crossed over in this plot. You know, probably only had like a foot of water anyway, and it was low tide, and the wind blew real hard. And then all of Pharaoh's men went in after them and drowned in a foot of water, Right? And that makes a lot of sense. And the Bible actually describes that the water was stacked up. You know, you've seen these images in the movies where they got this big wall of water, maybe, maybe as high as the ceiling in the auditorium here. You know, I've seen someone that got fish swimming in it and stuff. And kind of like standing in an aquarium and they're kind of walking through this dry ground event. Then they get to Mara and these waters are bitter. Right? You cannot drink these waters. They're, they're stagnant waters. And God just does this miracle that provides for all these people. This great mass of people wandering in the wilderness. There's no McDonald's in sight anywhere. And all of a sudden, there's frosted flakes all over the ground. <laughs> and you just kind of scoop them up. No one's ever seen this stuff before. As a matter of fact, you remember, I think Evan shared this last week in his message. The reason why they called it manna was, and that's the Hebrew word for, what is this? Right? It's an advertisement for, we don't get it. What the heck is going on around here? Well, they are, they are following a supernatural God who does things that you can't explain. And so today, we come to the passage, and I'm going to take a couple of weeks in this passage, but today I just want to highlight, they show up at another location, and... A rock is going to turn into a spring. I don't know how big this rock is, but, you know, and again, you know, you just read stuff. There's, there's an attempt. I mean, I've read this out of some decent commentators that come up with some of the most ridiculous stuff because we have a hard time believing in the supernatural. I've, 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 I've read a commentary this week, which I respect. I've quoted from this commentary, where the guy highlights that there are trapped inside of rock, sedimentary rocks water pockets. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving this explanation. It's like, sorry, so you break the rock open. What, I mean, really, in sedimentary rocks, so what do you find? Like the appearance of moisture and what do you invite like a million and a half people? Y'all come drink up. <laughs> come on. I know there's water in there. You can barely see it. It's got discoloration. Come get a straw. You know, you know this is a miracle. Right? This is a miracle where God makes a rock start gushing out water that's going to provide for a massive number of people. 
But I don't, what is it about us that we just have such a hard time with supernatural stuff? There's something in us that opposes it, that if we can't explain it with the things that we naturally understand, then we have a hard time embracing it. But, but this is a challenge. This is why I titled this today. We are following a supernatural God. We are needing to learn to follow a supernatural God. But we have a strike against us in this category. Right? It's kind of described and it still kind of remains part of our DNA a little bit. It's 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there's a quality to what God does that is spiritual in nature, and the Bible comes right out and says this to us. Oh, by the way, you are very natural, and there's a natural piece of you that when it comes in contact with the spiritual things that God does, you're going to have a problem with that. It's going to seem foolish to you. It's going to seem like an explanation that doesn't make any sense, which is what all these miracles were for them as they came out of Egypt. Now, you know, they're very similar to us, right? They've been living in Egypt for a long time. They have learned to do life. Daily needs get met a certain way. Daily routines in life are done a certain way. And, and they're very naturally done. Right? So they, they had the benefit of living in Egypt, the, the, the Nile Delta provided for them very well of different places in that region. You could grow crops there like nobody else could. You could, you could have uh, herds and flocks like nobody else could because you had a water supply that was there. There was a lot of natural favor in their lives. So they learned, if you will, to, to look to Egypt to sustain their life. That's what they learn to do throughout their life. So, you know, I, I want to say this, and I don't mean to make these antagonistic to each other, but you and I can live life in two modes, and so could they. Kind of E mode or G mode, right? You, maybe you have a switch inside of you a little bit and how you think and where your faith goes. They could live in E mode where they were looking to Egypt to provide for their lives. And, and Egypt provided quite a bit, right? They ate well. I remember when they got out in the wilderness and First time their stomachs begin to growl and they're a little challenged. They're not used to that. They don't live in a land of famine. They live in Egypt. This is like living in America. I mean, they got stuff. They could, you know, there's fast food in Egypt probably. They can get stuff pretty easily. So when they encounter this hunger on the inside of them, in chapter 16 we saw, what do they want to do? They want to go back to Egypt, right? Because Egypt makes sense to them. Even though it was a house of slavery, it made sense to them. We know Egypt's going to provide for us. We know it's predictable. We're familiar with it. We're out here in the open. We don't know what's coming next. We, we don't like this G mode of life where we've got to learn to look to God to show up in ways that none of us know what he's going to do in this moment. I find that pretty interesting. I actually find it kind of releasing as well that when they wandered in the wilderness, no one, including Moses, was writing a script for God. Nobody had to be all that smart. They didn't have to figure life out. They don't get to the Red Sea and Moses goes, wow, we are in a jam here. Let me see if I can counsel God on how to get us out of this. Oh, I've got this great idea. God, why don't you 
I don't even know how you do this. I've never seen it done before. Why don't you stack the water up, drain this down to the ground, and we'll just walk across. Moses doesn't come up with that idea, does he? God comes up with that idea. They get to Mara and the waters are bitter. No one counsels God on how to fix that. God steps in and does it. They're starving in the middle of nowhere. Frosted flakes. God's idea. No one comes up with these things for God. But you and I are very similar to those coming out of Egypt. You know, we come to Christ, and, and in reality, even though we may have come to Christ many years ago, we, we tend to live in e-mode. We tend to live where we're, we're still looking to the natural resources of life to provide for us. And here's the great danger, and here's the great sadness, and if you be honest with yourself, you might discover what mode you're in this morning. Is when we become natural-minded, we live in e-mode. We are very dependent on the natural resources of who we are, of what we can do. We begin to look to our own talents. We begin to look to our own finances, the size of our bank account, the kind of persuasive ability we have with people. Right? What tempts us to become control and manipulative type people in other people's lives is... I look to my own talent to persuade people to give me a life that I want to have. So it's a very natural-minded thing. And so, therefore, if you've got lots of natural resources, you've got, you got a good bank account, got a great job, economy's going your way, uh, you went to the doctor, the health report is excellent, all your natural resources are lining up when we feel good about life because we're living in e-mode. But what if God should dare to bring us into a place where there's not a lot of natural resources? What if God's plan for us is to bring us out of Egypt into a wilderness? Or we'll find later on in their story, into the promised land. And the land pushes back. And the land says, it's not going to go your way. The land says, you don't have the resources to live here. You're going to take how many people out into the desert? Who's, whose idea is that? You can't feed these people. You can't give them water. That's an impossible task. You can't do that. So what happens when God leads us into that place? And now our only mode of surviving in that land is to look to God, a God who does things that are unexplainable. He has ideas we've never heard of. He's innovative in ways that we don't know even had a category for that. And yet he shows up miraculously. See, this is the great threat for them. They got into the wilderness, they got used to living in e-mode, and all of a sudden they, they can't see any provision can come from that, right? Peter N. says, all three stories that we've seen so far deal with the Israelites grumbling because of a lack of elements vital to their survival in the desert. So they are grumbling, and these are not just, you know, a little bit of complaining. These are, these are pretty strong words in Scripture. These are fighting words. This is why they're not just grumbling. Moses really does think they're going to stone him. These people are hot. They are upset. But they are following a supernatural God. Do they really need to be freaking out in this moment? If they're mindful that a supernatural God could do anything in this moment that he wants to do, and he has the power to do it, and he needs permission from no one, well, then do we really need to be in this moment grumbling and panicking and freaking out? 
Right? But they've obviously lost sight of that, right? And this is the great challenge for us. We lose sight of these things. I think I wrote this down in your outline. Their natural-mindedness is the basis for their panic and complaining and negativity. It's not their circumstances because their circumstances has this wild card in it. It's got a supernatural God in it. So it's not their circumstances that are responsible for their panic and their complaining and their negativity. Tell that to yourself right now. It's not your circumstances that are responsible for your panic and your complaining and your negativity. You've lost sight of God. Anytime you corner natural-mindedness, there will be fear and there will be aggression and there will be complaining. Right? If you're a natural-minded person, right? this, this is the, the symptoms of natural-mindedness. You want to know whether you're natural-minded or not? Do I want to discover whether or not I'm really a natural-minded person? Okay, do I find fear in my life? Do I find aggression in my life? I'm going to control, manipulate, panic, push. And do I find complaining and murmuring in my life? If I do, then those are the symptoms of natural-mindedness. I am living in whatever land I'm living in with natural-minded tendencies. That might be a lot of us this morning, right? All right, be a little more active listening here right now. Are you seeing fear in your life? Do you notice yourself irritable and aggressive? Are you complaining? Okay, well, this is a good halftime adjustment for you then. Because right, you, you can't keep living that way. You and I are not called to live lives that are based in natural mindedness. We are called to follow a supernatural God, and we have to learn how to engage him, how to receive from him, how to look to him to do things in our lives in ways that only he would. Peter N. says, they again use their own perception of their circumstances as the standard by which to base their reality. They still have not learned that even though they are in a desert with no food or water, God is above their circumstances. We give them a little bit of a break because you and I travel down the same roads and do the same things, don't we? Our perspective, right, when you've got natural resources going on and you pull up to the Red Sea in your life, you, you look around for what tool fixes this. And what do you discover? i got no tool that fixes this. i got, you know, okay, how much money do I have in the bank? Can I, can I pay to deal with this Red Sea situation. And you discover you don't, you don't have enough money to buy your way across the Red Sea. And you begin to panic. That's well, natural mindedness. Right? It's not looking to a God who is traveling with me, who is supernatural, who can step into this moment and do who knows what. And I might not even be able to script for God what he needs to do next. But he is with me. And he's faithful to do those things in our lives. Right, the story of the people of God is one of learning to look to Christ, learning to do that as our source. But, let's be honest, turning off E-mode is not an easy thing to do. It does not, it's almost like the switch is stuck in that mode. We have gotten so used to it. And they had a hard time with it. Right? The supernatural ways of God were foreign to them, and the supernatural ways of God are foreign to us. 
And can I say this in a way that's not going to spook you? They were a whole lot more superstitious than we were, than we are. I know that's what, well, is, it, is that a good thing, Keith? They were like superstitious. Uh, in some ways, yeah. Right, superstition is, is is a belief in something that's not always real natural that could make something happen, right? You know, don't let a black cat cross in front of you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, what kind of power does that thing have, right? They weren't so scientifically minded as we are. Our culture is on steroids in the scientific discovery world these days. Technology and science is driving us at such a rate that we are becoming more and more and more in need of a lab experiment that verifies an equation that says whether or not something is true. I was watching a news interview the other day, and these are conservative folks. They were evaluating and making some comments on Ben Carson, you know, the guy who's running for president. And, and it was an interesting conversation because they wanted to agree with him because he's a conservative and he represents a lot of their views. But one of the commentators, they were commenting about what a brilliant man he is. He's a neurosurgeon and how much he's accomplished and unique in his field. But one of them couldn't resist in that moment against the backdrop of how intelligent he is. He came right out and said, yeah, but, but he's a creationist. He believes in a literal Garden of Eden and a literal Adam and Eve. And he put that against it, and no one pushed back on that. And it was his way of saying, how confusing is that? The guy comes off like he's intelligent, but he believes in this kind of stuff. Okay, listen, that's the world you live in. The world you are encountering every day has elevated science to a greater-than-God status and if it doesn't answer to science and how science, by the way, is you know, currently understanding things, because if you are much of a scientist, you do have to acknowledge that science moves over time. It thinks it's figured everything out. Well, it always thought that until it discovered something it didn't have before, and now it has to rethink a few things. But God is having the answer to science today. And that's not too new. The Age of Enlightenment... Uh, which, you know, influenced some thinkers, and I won't, I, I, I need to resist chasing some of these political rabbits. But, you know, I know, you know, we're America, founding fathers, and, you know, what they believed about God, etc. How many of you guys have heard of Thomas Jefferson? Yeah. Do, you, do you ever heard of the Jefferson Bible? Yeah. All right, this is what the deist, I mean, and deist means a lot of things to a lot of different people, but Thomas Jefferson was a man who believed in some kind of a God. He just didn't want anything to do with a supernatural God. So he actually sat down with the Bible and cut out all the scriptures that referred to miracles, that referred to Jesus in ways that would have to be miraculous. He would have to be a miraculous person. He couldn't just be another man. And he was very proud of what he'd accomplished, that he had created what he thought was the highest code of morals available to man. Can I just tell you this? That's not too far from what Christianity can turn into for a lot of people. A lot of people, listen, maybe even some of us here today, that we study and read and we study and read and we get, and it's like we extract ways of doing things from the Bible. And we extract ideas and we extract principles from the Bible. 
All right, so, you know, based on this principle, I treat people a certain way. Based on this principle, we marry each other a certain way, and we don't do marriage that way. Right? Based on these principles, we show up for a meeting on a Sunday. Every Sunday we come together based on these principles. So at some point, you might begin to realize as a Christian today, you're actually following principles. You might not be aware that you're following a person. You're following ideas. You live your life a certain way. There's a certain code by which we live. That Jefferson was all over the code. He loved the code. But the problem is for you and I, we're not called to follow a code so much as we're called to follow God into the wilderness. And that feels very different because if I show up at the Red Sea with codes, it's all about my ability to find the right code in this moment, isn't it? But what if I show up at the Red Sea with a God who is unpredictable, personal, powerful, can do whatever he wants to do in that moment? Well, I might could stand in that moment and feel a little bit differently then. It's not about me pressing the right code buttons to open the Red Sea. It's about God being God in that moment. It's about me trusting in the supernatural nature of who God is. But let me just warn us strongly today. The scientific culture in which we live is having a drastic effect on the average Christian. The worst effect it's having is that actually seeing people who at some point had a confession of Christ turn to atheism. But that's such a narrow category and that happens so seldom. I want to really focus on thinking outside that. How is, how is scientific naturalism affecting you on, an, on a day-to-day basis? Well, it's interesting. It'll affect the way you read the Bible. All right, here, here's a nice quote from Peter Enns. He's referring to what happened at Mara, this event of the bitter waters. He says, he performs another water miracle. Now, he uses the word miracle. While some commentaries try to find a correspondence between the type of wood Moses uses and its possible chemical properties and medicinal qualities, such an approach misses the theological point of the narrative. A suitable, quote, natural explanation is hardly what the narrative intends for us to grasp. Here we have another example of God's control over chaotic waters, as he had twice done in Egypt. Waters that could have brought death to God's people behave in a manner contrary to their nature and work for Israel's good. A supernatural God steps in and makes water behave in a way that's contrary to its nature. That is so unscientific, isn't it? Because we have laws of nature. Nature has to follow some kind of laws. Who the heck does God think he is? He can't break those laws. You You do realize that from the moment the physical universe was created, God broke scientific laws. Now listen, I'm not trying to say God's not in scientific discovery. I'm not trying to say that God didn't create a, a natural order to things. He did. He did. But the idea of modern man is we have studied and learned and studied and learned and studied and learned. We've developed principles and practices. We call it science. Now we've taken what we have discovered and learned and codified and we're going to impose it on this idea called God. And at the end of the day, we're all going to discover that God doesn't really exist. That's what science is doing. 
but God violates science from the get-go, right? In the beginning, there was nothing, and God created everything. And he just said, let there be, and it was. And you don't have one scientific formula that can explain that to anybody. Because science can only work with what is. It cannot explain how something comes from nothing. Which, by the way, if you're a lover of science, there is this enormous, infinite-sized wall between rational thinking of scientists and reality. And it's trying to get explained, it's been trying for years to get explained by the Big Bang Theory. Right now, most of them like to join the program already in progress. Right? So I'm going to explain the Big Bang Theory. There was this explosion. Okay, you should be asking the question, what was going on right before the explosion? And then science gets really fun at this point. Science begins to explain, well, there was this atomic pressure. And then you should be asking what question? Where did that come from? Where did pressure come from, right? Pressure is a scientific concept, so we can use that. Yeah, but it has to come into existence at some point. So what caused something to come from nothing? So you're saying there was nothing at some point, and science is lost in that moment. There is nothing, nothing scientific about saying something suddenly came from nothing. There's nothing scientific about that. That is a statement of faith. Now, we've got an explanation for that. Because the God that we believe in is supernatural. He, he can suspend the natural order in an instant. He can touch time. He can touch physical space. He can touch health conditions. He can touch cellular activity. God's supernatural. He's above the natural order of our lives. Now, now listen, the more and more science makes sense to people, the more and more it explains things, we begin to be more and more natural-minded, right? So a natural, this is where I'm concerned for the church, the natural-minded person begins to look to natural things to fix his own life. It begins to ignore that there's a spiritual realm in your life, there's a soulish realm in your life, there's an invisible, real, but invisible component inside of you that's part of who you are. And so when I go to do life, if I want life to be rewarding, and I want it to be fruitful, I want it to be meaningful, how much time are you spending in the soulish components of your life to get those things met? And how much are you just trying to find the next product that came out, the next place I can go visit, the next house I can live in, the next thing in this world, the next physical relationship with a person? Right In, in the church... You and I can be shopping for satisfaction and fulfillment in the same categories that a person who is devoid of the Spirit is doing. And that's actually happening. And this is where it starts. It starts with an explanation of life that it is natural. All of life is natural. So therefore, our pursuit in life is secular. And to have the life that we want, we need material things, things that we can touch, places that we can go. 
and therefore we become consumers. Right? So what began in naturalism develops into a consumeristic, materialistic, secular lifestyle, which is just way too characteristic of God's people today. You know, it's another interesting thing. I don't know if you follow this. I, I believe this is very much true. Today, in the, in the realm of churches, there is a debate, has been going on for years, between whether or not the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue to operate today in the same way in which they operated in the New Testament. So there are categories of Christians that fall into one of these descriptions. There are cessationists. There are those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased to operate this way. And there are continuationists that could fall out into everything from people who acknowledge that that's possible but don't really pursue it much to charismatics or Pentecostals who are trying to make more of a pursuit of those things. But I think that debate gets informed a bit by the naturalism that's in our world. Because those kinds of activities fall into strange activity, unexplainable activity, unusual activity, unnatural activity. And the more natural-minded we have become, the more we want our churches to accomplish things by things that we can explain to people. Here's our process. Here's how we do that. We explain this, and then they live by that. We explain this, and then they live by that. What, what about the supernatural component of God showing up in our lives and doing things in any one of us at any moment that lacks codified explanation? And there are plenty of places in your life where that's the God that you need to show up in that moment. Not just some natural strength or natural resource. See, today the church, is, the church is actually okay. We get to the Red Sea, and uh, we need to just decide we're not going. We're not going anywhere. We're just staying here. Go ahead and make camp here. This is it. This is where we're going to live in our lives as a church, as a people. Or we figure out some way to go around. All right, we'll just go around. Just go around the Red Sea. Listen, if, if you're going to attempt to do things in your life that are based out of your natural resources, how, how many of us really, really know and are convinced at some point you don't have the ability to do what God's calling you to do? Whether it's crossing a Red Sea or leading all these people. Moses, you're leading all these people into the wilderness. You understand you can't bring enough water with you. To provide for them. You don't have enough ideas here. There is not enough provision for them in the wilderness. They're going to die. Well, then we're not going. Right? Isn't that how we would think today? We would calculate, call a meeting, get all the specialists, populate the data, and we'd decide we're not going. It's not God for us to go. God would not want us to. But yet it was God for them to go. And the only way they're going is if they're mindful of a supernatural God is going with them. And who knows what he would do when you face a need that's more than you have the ability for. Listen, this translated at some point into, you know, not Red Seas and moments. You know, there, there are relationships here. There, there are wounded marriages. There are dysfunctional parent-child relationships that begin to look like Red Seas to people. This can never change. That person doesn't have the ability. I don't have the ability. And when you're natural-minded, you make natural-minded decisions about those things, don't you? 
rather than believing that, what might God do miraculously to save your marriage? What might he do to get into your heart and give you an affection for that person that you had no idea where that would come from, but yet he did that? That something so horrible has happened in your life that you don't think you could ever forgive your spouse for what they've done until a miraculous God that you're following gets involved and gives you a heart of forgiveness. But the more natural-minded I am, the less I will believe those things, the less I will choose to try and walk in them. I, I, I start looking for pathways that don't require a supernatural God. So news for everybody, we're not going into the wilderness. We're not going there because there's not enough water, not enough food, and there's problems there. But that's where God wants us to go. And they stay in this mindset, right? Remember, they're going to keep doing this. They're going to get to the promised land. It's a land of promise. It's the destination God has clearly said. This is what this is all about. This is our final destination here. We're at the doorway, and they go get a news report, and what do they find out? There's problems. There, there's problems that we don't have the natural resources to overcome. There are giants in the land. We're not giants. And we're not giant beaters. And there are walled cities, and we're a bunch of guys with pickaxes. And we're going to show up at these walled cities and encounter these giants. We don't have the ability to go into that land. But that's the land God said to go into. When you stop following the person of God who is supernatural in nature, there's a lot of places you will not go. And they happen to be places that God has promised and wanted us to go. And that's what's happening with these guys. Listen, this, this supernatural component of God, when, when God shows up in the lives of, of the Israelites... And I'm going to say this carefully because I know some people think with one side of their brain only in comments like this. All right, you guys know we preach the word of God. We think this is the most absolute, stable, sure thing available to us in the revelation of God. I do not believe that whatever revelation I may have gotten last week in a prayer closet or personally or went to a mountain and something came to me, I do not hold that in the same light as this. This is an absolute, sure word from God that he has written down, he has preserved for us in unique ways that we might have something dependable and not just imaginary in our lives. All right, but here's the mistake we make is when we say, and that is the only way God reveals himself. When God shows up in the lives of the Israelites, he doesn't show up with a book. When Moses first encounters God, it, it's, it's not writing from heaven that falls from the sky. It's, it's a manifestation of the life of God. Remember, he's minding his own business, and he looks up, and the presence of God is manifest in a burning bush. That's his first encounter with God. Not a written word. A manifestation of the life of God. And he turns aside and he goes up and then a voice speaks to him. And he gets a revelation about God. And then he gets these signs delivered to him. Right, Moses, throw that staff down on the ground. And the staff turns into a snake. Supernatural. Supernatural bush that doesn't burn when it's caught on fire. Supernatural snake that he reaches down and grabs. Moses, stick your hand into your cloak. He takes it back out and his hand's all leprous. Supernatural. Moses, stick your hand back in your cloak. And he takes it back out again. Healed. What's God doing here? 
demonstrating that I'm a supernatural God, Moses. I do things that no one can explain. That's who I am. First encounter with God is that way. And then there's all the plagues, all the revelation, one miracle after another. God doesn't start writing until they get to Sinai. And thank God he does, right? He writes down the law and he gives it to his people. But that's not the only awareness that they have about God. They have an awareness about God by the works of God, by the experiences that they have had in their lives. And let me just say this to us because I think we're desperate in this category. We will, we will need experiences with God to go into the places that God calls us to go. Does that say the, the Bible's deficient? No. I'm not saying the Bible's deficient at all. It's fully accomplishing exactly what it's called to accomplish. It just nowhere says, hey, you just need this book now, so I'm going to shut off the supernatural manifestations of my spirit. Well, now that you got the book, this is the cornerstone of cessationism, by the way. Now that you've got a sure word, you don't need these questionable prophecies and insights and people saying things that aren't exact. You don't need that anymore because you've got a sure word. No, no, no. Why do we stop needing the manifest presence of God among us? Well, we don't. As a matter of fact, they are called on to carefully remember the presence of God among them, right? Here, look, look in your outline there. I've got a psalm that I'm going to quote from, from Psalm 106. Here's, here's the point I want to make from this psalm, because the psalm's going to find fault with them. It's going to revisit them in Egypt, and so find fault with them. But, but the point is this. God has given manifestations of his spirit that he intends for us to store away in our lives so that one day when we recognize that we need God to show up in a supernatural way, that memory is functioning in us. The impact of what God did in the past is functioning in us today so that I will now take this step of faith. In my life. That's why these stories are here. Listen to the way Psalm 106 goes back and gathers in their events and their experiences coming out of Egypt. Verse 7 says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea. At the Red Sea, right? So you immediately begin to recognize if God's never done this in your life or you don't remember that he's done it in your life, in the day that you stand at the Red Sea, you're going to be in trouble. The day you're not mindful that the supernatural God who did that is right here with us today, you're going to be in trouble. Yet, yet he saved them for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea. It became dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. A little bit later in Psalm 106, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things. He didn't just write down some great things. He had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. All of those are describing these supernatural events that God brought 
into these people's lives. Psalm 106, verse 24. It says, then they despised the pleasant land. This is kind of a running storyline of Israel's history. So at this point, they're, going, they're about to move into the land. So they're ahead of us now in our story. They despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. So the murmuring is back, the fear is back, the paralysis is back because they are natural-minded. They have forgotten the supernatural interventions of God. That's not with them. Now, not everybody did that, right? Because at some point we're going to get to Canaan and stand at this grand doorway to go in, and the natural-mindedness of man is going to prevail, by the way. And most people are going to be saying, there's giants, there's walled cities, we can't go in. Most except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. The spies who actually went into the land and actually saw these things had something greater in their mind. Greater than what's there is what they've seen God do. We've seen God do greater than that. This is not a problem. We should go into the land. God's going to give this to us. That's Joshua and Caleb's story. Because their experience, which they call to mind, is of a supernatural God who's greater than that. Right? Remember the day that the people of Israel faced a giant across a valley named Goliath. They'd never seen a man like this. He was enormous and menacing and threatening and called for somebody to be a champion bold enough to come out and stand and face this guy. No soldiers are coming. Saul, who's bigger than everybody else, he's not coming. But then this young boy is going to come. He's going to make a decision that he knows something that's greater than that. That is a giant. And everybody, it must have been an impressive giant. Everybody's intimidated by this guy. But as intimidating as that is, I know something greater than that. What's interesting, when David goes to pull out and go for this, this is what David says. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Right? He had told a story about I was, I was a, I've been a shepherd boy my whole life. I've been protecting sheep. And, and I can recall there were events where a, a bear came against me. How many of you guys can acknowledge he should have lost? Bear versus David. A lion came against him, right? He should have lost. In the moment where you're saying natural resources, I'm in trouble. <laughs> That's a lion. I'm a dude. I'm in trouble here. I don't have the natural resources. But in those places, the supernatural God who was with him showed up manifested his power and convinced David of what God is capable of doing. It's interesting that that's what he references when he goes to take on Goliath. Not only many times in Scripture, and rightfully so, they're referencing the God who rescued us from Egypt, the God who did this and the God who did that. David references his own personal encounter with the manifest presence of God. God did this in me against a bear and a lion. He can do this again. See, there's something that God wants us to remember about what he's done in manifesting his life. There's a supernatural engagement of God that if you and I have forgotten about those things or they're so distant that we don't recall and bring them to, to mind or, or somehow we bought into some cessationist idea that God doesn't do that anymore, well, then why would you think he'll do it for you when you go to face that situation? God doesn't do that anymore. 
Well, then you just won't pursue that. You won't be open to it. What's really interesting in this passage, if you look at these guys, when they got to the place where they had lost sight of, of the God who would manifest his life among them, they did two things in this 106, Psalm 106. They built idols, and they despised the challenges that they faced. And that's what we do. When we're not mindful that there's a God who will manifest his life on our behalf in the moment with us, well, then we build idols. We take our own strength, our own natural talents. We build a way through ourselves. We will build our own God who will deliver us. That's what they did. And, and that's what we do as well. Because we don't believe in a supernatural God. We take the best of what we have, melt it into gold, and create and fashion an idol that will rescue us. And in the day that we stand on the threshold of entering into the promised land, right? you got promised land in your life. you got ground that God wants to give you to dwell in. Whether, you know, I pick on the marriage because I, I believe God wants to minister to some marriages this morning. God's got a promise for you to live as husband and wife in a land. But can I tell you, when you stand on the threshold of that thing, if, if you can send some spies on ahead, and they're going to come back with a report, there are giants in the future of your marriage. And there are walled cities that one of you is going to hide behind and refuse to come out of. And you're going to fight and fight and fight and fight. And you're not going to be able to overcome the wall. And the person behind the wall ain't coming out. That's what I saw in the future of your marriage. Now, if you're natural-minded, you ain't getting married. <laughs> I ain't going there. But if you're following a supernatural God, then God is going to go with you into that land. And when you confront giants, God will be with you to manifest his life. And when one of you gets behind a wall, who knows? God might say, walk around the house seven times and shout real loud and she'll come out. <laughs> and your neighbors will call the police on you. Here's my derail us here because I want us to listen for the Lord here. We're going to pick this thought up again. That last part of your outline says something really, really amazing. Theologically, it's really, really amazing. So, in two weeks, we'll pick this up again. We're going to discover that that rock that poured forth that water wasn't just a rock. That rock was Christ following them in the wilderness. And what's interesting is Jesus stands in the New Testament and he invites those who are thirsty to come to him and drink. The great festival day, he invites that nation of Israel to do the same thing that this nation of Israel did. Come to the rock and drink. But this, it's interesting that in the New Testament, where we get some commentary to better understand that, he says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he said in reference to the Spirit, which they had not yet received, for he had not yet been glorified. That's the New Testament experience for the Christian. It is the life in the Spirit. We come to Christ, 
and Christ pours out the Spirit on our lives, and we have to learn a whole new mode of living. Life by the Spirit. For them, they left Egypt. They had to learn to do life by not looking to Egypt. You and I come to know Christ. We've got to learn to do life by looking to the Spirit. And can I just tell you, I've been around a lot of Christians in my life. I've been a Christian for a pretty long time. Can I just tell you, it's not as easy as it sounds. We can become natural-minded in an instant. And the things of the Spirit become foreign to us. They're on a shelf, but they're buried behind books that have crawled in front of it. And we don't know how to look to the Spirit. Might it be that one of the things that God wants to do, a little halftime adjustment for us here, is we, we can't go back out into the game here and keep doing things the same way we've been doing them. We can't live the Christian life with a natural mindedness. We have got to learn to follow a God who is supernatural. We've got to learn to look to Him and receive from Him spiritually. Otherwise, the aspects of our lives that go beyond our natural resources, right? I don't have the money to do that. I don't have the patience to do that. I don't have the self-control to do that. All those things require the Spirit. Because you're right. In the natural, I don't have the power to do those things. But when God called me out of Egypt, he called me to follow him. And he promised he would be with me. And he said, if I came to Christ... I would receive the Spirit, and the Spirit would dwell in me, and there would be life by the Spirit in me today. So here, here's what I want us to do. Eric, you can come back up here. I want to I thrust us into responding mode. And I want to I do that by highlighting, maybe just asking you if you're having some symptoms. Maybe you can do a quick little medical analysis to see if you're having any symptoms of natural-mindedness. Right, do you remember what the symptoms of natural mindedness are in this passage? Fear, agitation, aggression, murmuring and complaining. If you're below the age of 20, drama. Right, all that's bound up in that one word today. If you say drama, it's all those things. Right, listen, if, if those are your symptoms... And you are suffering from a condition called natural-mindedness. You're way too aware of your own abilities, your own resources. And you are not mindful enough of a supernatural God who goes with us, who meets us at the Red Sea, at the waters of Marah, where we need food miraculously supplied by manna. God is with us in those moments, but I've got to learn to receive from this God. And I don't want you to put that on a shelf. I actually want you to do that right now. I want you to actually put yourself in a position where you've kind of had enough of this natural mindedness and you just want to turn the switch this morning. God, I want to become more receptive to the Spirit. I want to be open to your Spirit moving in my life. So let's do this. You can, you can stay seated, but let, let's, let's pray and ask God to help us and engage us this morning. Lord, how, how grateful I am this morning that we are not merely natural men. That's what Paul said. We're not just natural people. 
We're not here today with our best efforts to try and get some new ideas so that our life can be fixed. How sad that for so many people, that's what Sunday morning was about. Coming with their best efforts, their best morality, their best foot forward to get some new ideas. Maybe some God helps those who help themselves or maybe a golden rule. Yet, God, what you have called us to is so much different than that and so much more than that. You have called us to follow a supernatural God who is with us. And you have given us your spirit. So, God, this morning, every person who has believed in you and trusted in you and hoped in you, something different operates today, Lord. God, I pray that you would adjust the switch in our lives right now, Lord. We, we need to receive from you something that looks like a, a sea opening up supernaturally, something that looks like waters becoming sweet, the strange appearance of provision appearing on the ground in ways we never understood before, but there it is. God, we are walking with you. You are at work. We are not to be standing at the threshold of a land of promise, intimidated to go in. So God, this morning, would you awaken faith in our hearts to look to you in ways that perhaps we've not been lately, to receive from you in ways that are supernatural. I want to pray for folks that are here this morning, a couple of categories. I want to pray for those of you that are here, you feel like you are, you are at a Red Sea moment in your life. You are facing a circumstance that looks like it's got no remedy to it. It's a giant. You don't have the natural resources to cross over it, to deal with it, to make it go away. And fear has begun to breed in your heart. Complaining is growing in your life. Maybe you're in a health category this morning. Your health has been a red sea for you. You just it just can't seem to change. But God this morning wants to remind you, I I am with you and I am supernatural. I do things that you couldn't have even known to ask me to do. Can you look to that God this morning? Can you recall the ways in which he's manifested his life and made himself known in his word and in your life? Can you bring that God with you to the shoreline of that Red Sea? Say, God, I don't know what you're going to do even, but I am looking to you. I'm believing that you are with me. You have power in my life to do whatever you want to do, God. I had a sense in just praying for the service, just the Lord wanted to bring healing to marriages that are living outside that promised land. You've You've come to that place. You are here this morning and your marriage is unrewarding. It is unfruitful. 
it looks broken in a way that you don't seem to have the ability to fix and you don't think your spouse has the ability to fix it either. You are tapped out of natural resources. And God has brought you here this morning. You are not here by accident. And I'm not saying this by accident. God wants to get your attention. And he wants to remind you, I'm a supernatural God. I can do things in your heart and in your spouse's heart that defy explanation. I can give you a forgiveness and a love for one another that just comes because I'm God and you belong to me. I can make your heart do unnatural things toward each other. Do not give in to the idea that this is insurmountable. We can't cross over this. God is here this morning. He's wanting you to believe in him and trust in him and let him do something supernatural and amazing in your life. I believe that there's folks here this morning that you are struggling with habits. You're struggling with self-control. There are food categories in your life that you have begun to treat like a Red Sea. I can't change this thing. It just keeps coming back. It's insurmountable. There's an addiction pattern that's in your life. It looks like a giant that you're never going to defeat. God says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. God, thank you that you didn't say the fruit of well-intended people is self-control. God, thank you that you didn't say the the fruit of those who pull themselves up by their bootstraps is self-control. God, you said the fruit of the Spirit, that strange dimension of a God who is with us and in us to manifest his life is self-control. Well, then, God, we have hope today to overcome those things because you are with us on the shores of Red Seas. God, I pray for people this morning who are facing the threat of provisional difficulties. Lord, they feel the thirst. Where are we going to get water from? Where's the food going to come from? God, where's the provision going to come from? Lord, there are those here this morning, the finances of their life feel that way. God, I'm I'm desperate, Lord. I can't pay my bills. I can't meet that need. But God, would you remind us this morning, remind them specifically this morning, God, you provide out of nowhere. God, you cause water to flow from rocks and manna to just appear on the ground. Lord, money is not a problem for you. Paying bills is not a problem for you. Provision is not a problem for you, God. You are with us. But, Lord, do we believe that this morning? And does my heart launch out in faith saying, yes, that's right. I can go into this wilderness because God is with me. Well, Lord, we need you to awaken our soul to you this morning. God, we just can't come and listen to another message. God, we need you to manifest your life here today. There's a few of you here right now, you're just listening to this message, you're saying that, and you're just saying this to yourself. There's way too much fear in my life. There's way too much fear in my life. That's what life is feeling like to you. What if, what if God wants to manifest his life to you this morning? 
such a way that you begin to believe in a supernatural God who's here, present with you. You don't have to be afraid. So I want to pray for us. I want to ask God to minister into your lives. If, if those descriptions sat at home with you, if you felt God was speaking to you just now as I described those conditions, your Red Sea moments and your challenging provision, I want, you, I want to ask you to stand up. I want you to be proactive. Don't just be a passive listener. Be a proactive, I want to receive from God right now. This morning, the God who shows up and manifests his life, who makes things do unnatural things, who changes water, makes it stand up, changes bitter water to sweet, whatever the chemistry is, it's a miracle that God still does that. He's still looking for us to trust him in ways that are supernatural. there's all kinds of needs that are standing and represented in standing from physical infirmities to troubled souls and struggles in relationship components just a bad set of circumstances that have shown up lately God you're calling us to remember something so I gotta, I gotta call on you to do something you gotta remember something right now You've got to remember the mighty deeds of God. You've got to remember the mighty works that he's done. You've got to remember in scripture what God has done for us. And you've got to remember also what he's done in your life. How he's rescued you in the past. How he's empowered you. How you've experienced and seen the miraculous in your own life. You can't forget those things at this moment. You can't stand at the Red Sea and forget. Because you will cry out for Egypt in that moment. God, don't let us do that. God, right now, Spirit of God, you are in this room with us. And you are in our hearts to stir us. God, would you awaken faith in these hearts that are standing. Lord, would you awaken awareness. God, would you awaken an ability to stand at the edge of a Red Sea and say, any moment now, I just know God's going to show up and do something here. I don't even know what he's going to do, but I just know he's going to show up and do something. God, begin to awaken that in our hearts. It's who you are to us. It's who you've always planned to be. God, you sent us to the ends of the earth, but you said, lo, I am with you always. And Lord, you are with us. We are not alone. We are not simply dependent upon natural resources. There is resource with us. There is ability with us. There is miraculous work in our midst. God, speak and awaken and make us responsive. Lord, we don't want to just be dead people hearing words. We want to be spiritually alive this morning. God, we pray for you to move. God, move in this place. God, open our lives and our hearts. God, don't leave us in the condition that we've been in. God, we don't want to be grumbling in the wilderness. God, we want to be trusting and hoping in you. We want to be taking the next step in complete trust. God's going to show up. God, you are. So, God, we are not afraid. But if you're one of those people that were here this morning saying there's way too much fear in my life, just begin, begin to not make friends with that fear anymore. Begin to believe that God in some way is going to show up in your life. That's who he is. That's who he's promised to be. He's your covenant God. He will not leave you.
be in our midst supernaturally. Lord, we're, we're just not a natural people. We're people learning to trust and follow a supernatural God. So at any moment, God, Monday afternoon, Friday of this week, God, at any moment, Lord, what might you show up and do in our lives that we can anticipate this morning and be awakened to? Come breathe within There must be more than this Spirit of God We wait for you Fill us anew Stir it up in our hearts, a passion for your name. 
folks in just a minute to come receive prayer if you have maybe a physical need in your body and you'd like to ask God to intervene and do something miraculous in your life I just want to encourage you I want you to hear a brief testimony of God healing before we call for you to do that and I'm, I'm going to dismiss folks who aren't going to be prayed for in just a minute but if you're needing prayer just consider whether the Lord wants you to be prayed for this morning to receive something supernatural, just doesn't have an explanation except God just showed up. Feels sort of silly doing this, but um, as I was sitting there in the seat listening, uh, I felt the Lord prompt me to testify. About 12 years ago, I was part of the worship team in the church where I got saved at, and um, I was suffering from migraines really bad at that time in life. Anybody who suffers from migraines really bad knows what I'm talking about. Many times I felt I was just gonna die sometimes. I just felt the migraines was so bad. Um, but I was at worship practice one Wednesday night and I had to leave. I couldn't stay through the practice and the guy who was the worship leader came up to me and just wanted to pray for me. And I said, sure. And he prayed for me and it didn't go away immediately, but by, by the time I got home, the migraine had gone away, and it's been 12 years, and I've never had a migraine since. Yeah. Awesome. If you guys, if you're here this morning, you got a physical need in your body, you want us to pray, ask God just to show up miraculously, or maybe just God's giving you faith this morning for some miracle that you're needing, you want to just have some folks pray with you. We invite you to go ahead and come forward. I'm going to ask some of the elders and the leaders in the church to come and pray for you as well. But if that's your condition, come forward. And let's, let's stand and believe in a supernatural God who can show up in ways that none of us could script for him today. See him do something amazing. One other category I want to ask, if, if there are guys who are part of the, the Mexico team that you're headed to Mexico at the end of this week, would you guys find your way over to the far left side of the platform? So I'm down on the ground over there. So I'm going to have some folks come and pray for you as well. So here's, I'm going to close this in prayer, except we're going to continue to pray for these guys, and, and Eric's going to keep playing. But you are dismissed unless you're coming to pray for some folks that are here, and you're welcome to do that. Uh, if you would take conversation out into the foyer, that would be wonderfully helpful for us in here. So let's let's pray. Lord. But thank you for reminding us in a screaming loud natural world that there is a God who is super natural. He is above the natural. He doesn't submit himself to diagnosis. He doesn't submit himself to science. He is not limited in what he can and can't do. So God, this morning, that's, that's what we need. We need your life manifest in our lives this morning. So Father, as we have listened, would you strengthen our faith 
to be mindful of our supernatural God is with us. And God, would you help us now as we pray for needs here, that you would show up supernaturally and meet these needs. In Jesus' name, amen. I could get folks that would want to come and pray as well for folks that are here, but again, you are dismissed unless you're coming to pray for physical needs that are here with us this morning.